Well, tonight, what I wanted to do a little bit different, so powerful prayer series, but a little bit different because I want to talk about prayer. Really, what I want to do is let Jesus talk about prayer and like look at his prayer life, which is the most extraordinary prayer life in history, and look at what was different about it. What did he do? Um, and then what he said about prayer in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I think we're going to see that what he said is going to... Anyway, I'll let him talk. But I want to start out tonight with a Christian philosopher, a guy that I enjoy reading, a guy named Peter Kreeft, who wrote the following... He wrote that some say that prayer and the spiritual life or the inner life or the soul's private love affair with God, some say that is an unaffordable luxury today or an irresponsible withdrawal from the pressing public problems of our poor, hurting world. I say just the opposite, that nothing Nothing is more relevant and responsible. That nothing else can ever cure our sick world except saints. And saints are never made except by prayer. Nothing but saints can save our world because the deepest root of all the world's diseases is sin. And saints are the antibodies that fight sin. Nothing but prayer can make saints because nothing but God can make saints. And we meet God in prayer. Prayer is the hospital for souls where we meet Dr. God. By the way, seeing you back there, DG, reminded me. I got a text from uh, Brother George tonight. This is a little off subject. Uh, sorry, but I got to share this. We set a record this week. For friend speak, the most friend speak readers ever. So I'm in. And good job, God. Yeah, good things happening. 90, 90 people in friend speak this week. So awesome. Um, somehow that fits. I'll let you make the fit in your mind, but I'm sure it fits somehow with this. Um, anyways, so this year we got our banners back there, and we've been kind of calling this a year for reaching up in prayer, where really every year is a year for reaching up in prayer. In prayer, but just kind of a special emphasis here. Bob has prepared some really good materials that I hope you've been taking advantage of to help us with that. But it's been encouraging, and I'm not going to share any stories because I haven't gotten approval to share people's private stories or stories they've told me. But God has been doing some amazing things, um, miraculous things, even. Um, and some of them have been some dramatic changes of circumstances, things that have gone on for several years. And Someone told me she started praying, 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 and something incredible is happening. Some of you have told me stories of, of miraculous things God is doing to you, not necessarily to your circumstances, but doing to you, changing you. And I think that when we meet God in prayer, that is when, when things start happening, when God works and is really set loose in our lives. So Luke tells us in his gospel in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus had a habit of getting away from people. He loved people, okay? But he had this habit of withdrawing, of getting away from people, and just being alone with God. 
Um, He launched his world-changing ministry with not 40 days of tent meetings and public appearances, but with 40 days in the desert, right? All alone, away from the cities, away from the towns, away from everybody to be with God, to get in tune with the heartbeat of his father. And, um, and so amazing things then began to happen in his ministry because he had this cultivated, quiet, beautiful garden uh, spiritually with, with the father, this quiet garden of the soul. And it was so noticeable, his prayer life, so so perceptible by the disciples that you remember they asked Jesus, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, these guys, have they not prayed before? These disciples, they were good Jewish boys, went to synagogue, I'm sure when they were kids and everything and were raised up in the church, so to speak, or in the synagogue, so to speak. I'm sure they had prayed hundreds and hundreds of prayers and heard hundreds and hundreds of prayers, beautiful prayers, biblical prayers, prayers worded by men in the community that were, that were spiritual mentors and everything. Did they not know how to pray, right? That's my question. Well, they knew the secret that the crowds didn't know. Um, the crowd saw this ministry of Jesus. It was powerful and, and healings and miraculous things happened. The lame are walking and uh, the blind see and, and, and a boy's snack is multiplied and turned into this feast for thousands and thousands of people. The crowd saw those mind-blowing miracles. The disciples got a chance to, to be with Jesus behind the scenes, out of the public view, And they saw him constantly and habitually withdrawing, getting away to pray. And they understood that the miraculous happened only because it was preceded by this, by this quiet prayer life that Jesus had with the Lord. Other people saw the outward power. Only a few saw this prayer life that the Lord had. Now, he had intimacy with God, obviously. Other people, um, other religious leaders of the day did a really good job, let's say, with the public face of ministry, with outward performance, with with meeting people's expectations, with, with, with the perceptions of people, and with the performances that they gave in public, praying and almsgiving and teaching and things like that. But Jesus was different. Um, And it's easy, it really is, it's easy to kind of slide into where our, our faith journey becomes about us. Where we try harder. Where we work harder. And if my spiritual journey is me, then the fuel that drives my spiritual journey is willpower. Will I step up? You know, will I pull myself up by the bootstraps and make stuff happen? Um, and God obviously wants me to work. He wants me to do stuff. So that's good. <laughs> but it can become about me. It can become a, a, a faith journey of willpower. But Jesus shows us a very different way. 
And I'm going to call this tonight still power, okay? We're going to call this still power. Um, it is a journey that puts God at the center. It is a thy kingdom come, thy will be done kind of journey. It is a get away from everybody, spend time with God kind of journey. It's not the way of willpower. It's the way of still power. Um, still power, Psalm 4610. You've heard this before. You've probably seen it on a poster or something before. It says, be still and know that I am God. Still power. There are times just to do nothing except acknowledge God. Lean on God. Still power, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on Him. Not willpower, not work out, not try harder, not do more stuff. Just be still and wait for God to do something. There are times to do that, a lot of times to do that. Um, still power, Exodus 14, 14. I like this one. We talked about this the other day, John Scott. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let God do the fighting sometimes. Now to some, and I think this is what Crete is getting at, and I'll have a couple more quotes, but to some... Prayer really can look like a waste of time. I mean, every moment spent alone with God, every moment in prayer, every moment in your prayer closet could be, could be a minute, uh, a moment spent helping somebody, doing something, volunteering for a ministry, getting something done. But for Jesus, getting alone with God, spending time in prayer, that was what enabled him. This still power was what enabled him to live this extraordinary life to Christians, the most extraordinary life ever lived in the history of humankind. A life of unparalleled impact on the life, and it was a life of still power. And this is the kind of life he's going to talk about, and he's going to talk about both willpower and still power, okay? in Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read, there's a, just a lot of text here where Jesus kind of contrasts these two kinds of ways of doing spirituality. So starting in verse 1, Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I would I almost put it this way. You've kind of crowded God out, right? I'm doing stuff. Other people are recognizing that. Spiritual life, goals accomplished. If you do, God's not part of that. So, I love this. He says, when you give to the needy... By the way, I know Jesus had a sense of humor. I think he was, I think he was laughing here. If definitely smiling. He said, so when you give to the needy, do not... Announce it with, you know, with trumpets, right? Don't have the fanfare going. Now I shall give to the needy as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be what it may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret ah then he will then he's involved then he's going to do his thing 
Verse 5, prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Again, the hypocrites. They love to stand, stand, uh, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you when you pray don't keep on babbling like the pagans we're not after word count here for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him a lot of great stuff there. Um, so spirituality, apparently then, and I think it still can work this way. Uh, I think you'd probably agree with me, but definitely then because Jesus is talking about people that they would have known and how it worked for these folks. If you gave money to the poor, you wanted to make sure that you were recognized for giving money to the poor. I mean, feel... It feels good to get noticed, right? Yes, you can, you can agree with that. It feels good to get noticed doing something good. It feels good to get thanked. It does. It feels good to get respect, people to kind of admire and respect you. It does feel good. Like, why would I give money privately to the homeless guy when I could do it publicly? I mean, if it's public, the homeless guy gets helped and... I get a little recognition. We both get something good out of the situation, right? Now, Jesus calls this hypocrisy, or these people hypocrites. And I've said this before. I'll say this again. It's interesting here because the word that's used here in the Greek is hypocriti, which means actors, like movie actors, play actors. He says they are hypocriti. They are actors. What do actors do? Actors put on a performance, And spirituality can be leveraged to become sort of, a, sort of a show, in a sense, performance where people applaud and recognize, well done, sir. D.A. Carson, expositing this text, he makes a very interesting observation about us. He says, we human beings are a strange lot. We hear high moral injunctions and glimpse just a little of the genuine beauty of perfect holiness and then prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem if we were like that. The demand, he says, for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of external piety. The goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing men. Jesus shows us another way, the way of still power. A quiet, beautiful inner life with God. Let's go back to the text, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, now he moves on to fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrisy, the actors, the hypocrites do. For they, (laughs) 
I, I think this was probably funny too, right? They disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil, think hair gel, right? Put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will what? It will not be obvious to people that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees again what is done in secret, he will reward you. And so what I want to do is just draw out a few principles. None of this is going to be shocking to you or like, wow, I never thought of that. But it's good to be reminded of these things. And Jesus really does, um, I think in very clear language, remind us of some just key principles about still power tonight. Um, and without question, let's be clear, it is important for us to gather on nights like this or Sunday mornings as a body, as a bunch of believers, make a lot of noise, praise God together. Um, that is important, but those times cannot, must not take the place of our personal, private, intimate relationship with God, those moments with God those withdrawn all alone moments uh, they can't become the public times can't be the only times that we spend time with God so if you want to write something down you could write this down I would say this is something Jesus talks about here I need a private place where I can spend time with the Lord Jesus talks about a place um, a closet he talks about going to your room, closing the door. It could be your room, it could be your closet, it could be your kitchen, it could be your bathroom. Um, if you have small children, you may have to be kind of creative, like I got to spend time in the bathroom and you spend time with the Lord. And it could be a kitchen table before the Lord's wake up. It could be out by the pool, you know, early in the morning or, or after they go to bed at night. But the, there, yeah, okay, there will be moments when people see our faith. People should see your faith. We're not secret agent Christians trying to hide all of the good things we do from the world. However, there should be more than those moments, much more to our relationship with God, a lot that no one ever sees. And I was thinking this week as I was reading what Jesus was writing, I was thinking it's kind of like an iceberg, you know? You see the, t you see the top of the iceberg, what percentage of the iceberg is above the water, I don't know, like 1% or 10% or something like that. But the iceberg is much bigger, right? Below the water, there's much more that you cannot see. And so it is, I think, with our lives with the Lord. Yeah, people are gonna see our faith, in different ways, but there's going to be much more that they don't see that we're almost jealously protecting our own relationship with the Father. So still power involves this robust, private uh, dimension in our faith walk that the outside world may not see at all or may only get little glimpses of. Um, Emily Griffin wrote this. She said about prayer, she said, people who pray really pray she said they don't talk about it much after you have looked into the matter carefully you may be able to puzzle out who is really praying in general though prayer is something of an underground I like that prayer is something of an underground it is 
because people who pray are too possessive about their experiences to share them? She's like, is that what's going on? On the contrary, she says, people who pray usually share experiences generously, but on the whole, they don't advertise their prayer lives. Perhaps, she writes, the energy that might be used in talk goes into prayer instead. What happens to people who pray is that their inward life gradually takes over from their outward life. That is not to say that they are any less active. They may be competent lawyers, doctors, and businessmen, but their hearts lie in the inner life, and they are moved by that. Their hearts lie in the inner life, in still power. Now, Jesus, obvious example, practiced what he preached. He regularly withdrew to private places, physically got away from other people, was very intentional about that. Time of day was important to him. He'd get up very early. Uh, location, let's go to the other side of the lake, or I'm going to go up here on this mountain. Um, but he did these things intentionally so he could privately be with the Lord, his Father, Now listen to what he taught the disciples. That was in verse 6. He said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. And that's very specific. I mean, really. Step one, into your room. Step two, close the door. Step three, begin. I mean, that's very specific stuff there. Um, A private place where you and God can be alone together, still power depends on this. The second principle, and this just jumps out of everything he says, really, and that is that what we're talking about, this still power thing, this is a habitual thing. This is built into the order, the routines of your life. This is not an in in case of emergency, break glass, I've got a crisis, oh my goodness, I got this awful phone call, or this diagnosis, or this bill that came in the mail, I better start praying. Okay, if you've got a crisis, yeah, you better be praying, but you better have been praying before there was a crisis, (laughs) all right? You better have been developing that life because you're going to need it, yeah, when there's a crisis, but it's developed not necessarily in the crisis situation, but in your everyday life life. It's a habit. It's routine. Um, and Paul urged, right, he, Paul tells the Thessalonians, one of my favorite verses because it was so easy to memorize and get a gold star, pray without, <laughs> yeah, pray. non-stop prayer, Paul talks about. Not just, oh boy, something bad happens, you better pray. No, pray without ceasing is what Paul taught. And Matthew, in G, uh, Jesus rather, in Matthew 6, says things like, when you pray, right? Not if, not if you're going to pray. No, he says, when you pray, do this. He says, when you fast, do this. And then he gets into some of that other stuff. He says, when you give to the needy, do this. He imagines this faith journey Uh, where these habits are regular, where this is just normal. It's normal. I'm giving, I'm praying, I'm fasting. Um, Not if, but when. And there is no formula, one, two, three, and still power. That's not what we're talking about here, what Jesus is talking about. You know, you do these steps and out 
pops the desired result. That's not how it works. But Jesus says there is a promise. There is a guarantee. God will reward you. Okay? He will reward you. He says three times, verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Three times. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I would say this is a principle that he shares as well. God promises to bless, to reward me when I spend time alone with him. Now, I think to be clear, the greatest reward is not the gift that he gives, but his time with the giver himself, right? I mean, that is the greatest reward. A rabbi once prayed, and I don't know that I would dare pray this prayer, but there's something to it. He prayed, Lord, I do not want your paradise. I do not want your coming world. I want you. There's something there. Yeah, God, what I, what I most want is you. What my soul most needs is you. You are the desire of my heart because we know everything here will pass away. Our relationship with God won't pass away. So Jesus teaches clearly here that even spirituality, I mean, what could be more noble and good than spirituality? He says, even spirituality, Jesus says, even that can become a performance. It can turn into something which is leveraged to get applause from people. And while a performer strives for the applause and affections of those who watch the performance, a disciple strives for the applause and the affections of one, of the Lord. Other people may watch, other people may see stuff that you do. God is your audience. It's his applause that matters. Let's wrap this up by closing our eyes and bowing our heads. And we'll go to the Father together. Dear Lord, our God, our Abba, We need you, Father. We need time spent with you. Our souls depend on this. Our lives depend on this. Teach us the power of still power. That we, like Jesus, will develop a private walk with you that influences everything else that we do. May your spirit call us to that continually. Help us remember what a difference it makes when we really do make you our priority. And Lord, we ask that you awaken in us 
in body, in mind, in spirit, that you awaken in us each day this desire to meet with you in our secret place, to spend time with you, not only speaking to you, but listening. Hearing your wise words of instruction. The comfort that comes from your spirit. The assurances you give us that we are yours. And may we listen to your voice as we prepare each day to go out into our work into our plans, into our responsibilities. And we thank you tonight for clearing the way for this relationship by giving Jesus on the cross that we have been made holy by Him and we may approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Him, not because of anything we've done or deserve. And so I do pray once again as we finish our time together tonight that your spirit who lives in us will call us to these times of getting away and spending. I pray, God, that this week that we will be be made to feel by your spirit uncomfortable if we crowd you out with our schedules, if we crowd you out with the noise of this world, that you will make us so uncomfortable that we'll just have to get away and spend time with you. And that you will reward us as you promise. In these times of meeting with you, listening to you, communing with you. This is our prayer tonight. In the name of our Lord, in the name of our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.